We apologise that due to a fault on the original recording, the first few seconds of this sermon by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones are missing. However, we join him now during the reading of the verse. In your heart, from the heart, to the Lord. And then he goes on to say what we are considering this morning in this 20th verse. And here we would remind one another that he still obviously has in his mind that same contrast. The contrast between the Christian and the non-Christian. Uh, he's been emphasizing this uh, in the previous parts of this uh, epistle. He's trying to show these Ephesian Christians how, now that they have become born again, as he puts it, and as they've received new life in Christ, the whole of their outlook and of their life will be essentially different from what it was before. And now he's coming down to these details of how all this shows itself in their relationships with one another and in their common acts of worship and of praise to God. Well now, we proceed therefore immediately to the consideration of what he says in this verse. Giving thanks. That's it. This is ever one of the most characteristic things about people who are filled with the Spirit. Nothing perhaps is more characteristic of them than just this very thing. They have a sense of gratitude to God. And they are filled with a sense of praise and of thanksgiving to him for all his abundant and abounding mercies. Here, you see, we see at once this element of complete contrast with those who are not Christians. They don't thank God. If ever they mention his name, it's to complain. You know the type of person who never talks about God, never believes in worshipping God or thanking God for anything, then a war suddenly comes and they say, is this your God? Why does God allow war? These people have always got their catch questions. If there is a God and God's a God of love, why this spastic child and so on? No thanks at all. No praise. God's never mentioned by them, except it be, as I say, to criticize, to grumble, or to complain. There is a whole attitude. Now the apostle is contrasting this other attitude. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, of course, is something which is quite inevitable. The Holy Spirit operating in us always leads to this. There are certain things which invariably happen when the Holy Spirit is present in power. We've been studying a lot this year the whole question of revival. And you can't read the account of any revival that's ever happened in the history of the church without finding that it has always been an occasion of great thanksgiving and of praise. Your hymns show that. The great hymns that come out of revival. They're always hymns of praise and of thanksgiving. That is the thing that the people are most conscious of. The goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And they pour forth 
their hearts in praise and in thanksgiving. Because the Holy Spirit so operates upon us, I say, as to lead inevitably to that end. For what he does is this. The apostle has prayed for these uh, Ephesians in the very first chapter, that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened. He reminds them of that, that ever since he was with them, he has been praying in that he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That is always the work of the Spirit. And uh, what does he do? Well, he opens our understanding to these things, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us that believe. So, you see, when the Holy Spirit is present in power, when people are filled with the Spirit, their minds are enlightened, they are given the knowledge, given understanding, they are aware of certain things about God and his relationship to them. And, of course, you can't have that knowledge without being moved by it. But the Holy Spirit, in addition, moves and works upon the heart. His operations are never confined to the mind alone. He starts by enlightening the mind. But the difference between a man who's merely got intellectual knowledge and apprehension of the truth and the man who is rarely filled with the Spirit is that the second man's heart is moved. The Holy Spirit has a mighty influence upon the hearts of men. It softens them, it warms them, melts them stimulates them. And the result is that here is a man whose mind and understanding are enlightened. He's aware of these things and his heart is melted and warmed and moved and the two work together. And inevitably, the man is filled with a great spirit of thanksgiving and of praise unto God. He's a man who, though he feels all this, would still like to thank God more and more, so he prays, Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Now then, here is something which surely will come to us as a question this morning. It's a very good test of the nature and the character of our Christian life and our spiritual tone. To what extent is there this element of praise and of thanksgiving in our life and in our experience? Stop for a moment and examine yourself and ask yourself the question. When you're on your knees in the presence of God, what do you do there? To what extent do we thank God and praise God? Giving thanks always for all things, says the apostle. Of course, a man who's filled with the Spirit will do that. So we are able to tell very easily this morning to what extent we are filled with the Spirit. This is the gauge. It tells us exactly. 
I wonder how we emerge from this examination. Analyze your prayer. How much space and time and attention are given to praise and to thanksgiving. How much to petition. It is the relative proportions of petition and praise and thanksgiving that tell most exactly the measure, the degree of the Holy Spirit in us. A man whose spiritual life is poor and weak, marasmic, is a man who spends his time in petitioning God. And there's no praise at all. It's a curious thing, this. Here is a man who wants this and that and feels he hasn't got it and doubts whether God is dealing with him fairly. Well, of course, there's only one explanation of such a man. He's not aware of the truth concerning God. He's probably disobedient to God. He's not conforming to the life and to the pattern. And that is why he's not being blessed more than he's being blessed. But the man, on the other hand, who has this enlightenment of the Holy Spirit and who is moved in his heart, he wants to praise God and to thank God above everything else. There is nothing to me more alarming and more appalling about the way in which, alas, probably most of us live. We are all guilty of this. Then the way I say in which we don't thank God. We either just say our prayers mechanically or we have a series of petitions for ourselves and for various other people in whom we are interested. And what makes it still more terrible is that we are rather proud of ourselves for having done that, especially if we've got a prayer list and we offer up petitions for a number of people. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's very good to pray for people. If you've promised to pray for a missionary or something, do so. We can never do so too much. But I still say that the measure of our spiritual tone and whole condition is the element of thanksgiving and of praise that is in our prayer life and in all our thinking about God, giving thanks always. This is inevitable, says Paul. You will be singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, and giving thanks. What a happy people, Christian people are. Here you are, he says, you're met together. You're unlike those people in their drunken orgies. You're unlike those people with their ribald songs, their attempt at jollification and happiness. Yours is a true happiness. And it comes welling up out of your hearts. It's not a mechanical thanksgiving. I don't know anything that's more terrible in a sense than formal thanksgiving. Oh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't even give thanks formally. It's, it's quite right that you should do so. But it's a terrible thing if it is merely formal. You know, when you receive formal thanks from somebody, it doesn't really help you. It doesn't give you any pleasure at all. You're much more aware of their formality than you are of the thanksgiving that's in their hearts. All this, says Paul, comes from the heart. You make melody in your heart. You thank God from the heart. Not a formal praise, but a praise that comes welling up from the depths and a feeling that we can't do it enough. And again, we ask God to tune our hearts to sing his grace and his praise are right. Very well.
We just examine ourselves in the light of that. So let us go on to the second thing the apostle tells us is this. To whom, notice to whom he tells us to give our thanks. And you observe that he divides his statement, giving thanks, he says, always for all things, unto God and the Father. He means by that, of course, God the Father. But this is the way he commonly puts it. And I think he puts it in this way very deliberately in order to remind us of something. We give thanks unto God. The almighty and eternal God. Here he's thinking of God as the creator. As the author of all being. And we should give thanks unto God for that. God is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. He is the source and the fount of every blessing. God is, I say, the author of all life, of the whole universe, and of everything that is. So he says, give thanks to God. And this is a permanent duty. This is something that everybody should be doing. Even those who are not Christians should be doing this. God is to be praised. Let the people praise thee, all people. The whole universe should be thanking God and praising God this morning as God, as the giver of all gifts, the source and the fount of every blessing. Ah, yes, but you see, the apostle at once hurries on to add something, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. Now then, here is where he has a special word for the Christian. To the Christian, God is not only God, he is God. He is God the creator. He is the everlasting God. But he is in particular the Father. He has become one whom the Christian can address as his Father. Now this isn't true of all. As our Lord said, ye are of your father the devil. That's true of some people. This notion of the universal fatherhood of God is not taught in the scriptures. God is the creator. If you like, you can say that he is father in that sense. But he is not father to all and sundry. He is only father to those who are in Christ Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him to them gave he the right or the authority to become the children of God. That's it. And as I say, our Lord says to these people, to these Jews who didn't believe in him, you are of your father the devil. Don't say that God is your father, he said. You say that you're children of Abram, that you're children of God. But he says you're not children of God. If you were, not, if you were children of God, you wouldn't be rejecting me and reviling me and blaspheming me. You are of your father the devil, and the works of your father ye will do. Oh no, they are not children of God. God is not their father. They are in the relationship of created beings to creator, but no more. But here the apostle reminds Christian people that they are in an entirely different category. That God has become to them their father. 
in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Very well then, let's see how this works itself out. He's very careful to put it like this in order to remind us of what our duty is, what we ought to be doing as filled with the Spirit, and in order that we might test and examine ourselves. In other words, the thanksgiving and the praise of the Christian should be altogether greater and more abundant, more full of than that of anyone who is not a Christian. Well, let us look how he divides it up. For what are we to give thanks? Well, he says that we are to give thanks unto God and the Father always. Always. And when he says always, he really means always. Well, in what respect? Well, we are to give thanks unto God always as God. How does that work out, says someone? Well, it means something like this. We should always be thanking God for the very gift of life itself. For it is God who has given us our being, and not we ourselves, as one of the psalmists reminds us. Man, with all his cleverness and all his advances, cannot uh, create or produce life. God is the author of life and of being. He gives us all our existence. And this is something for which we should thank God. That he has made us men, that he has given us the gift of life and has put us into this world. It's a tremendous thing. We'll never understand it fully, but we should thank God for it. But we don't stop at that. Consider other matters for which we should be always thanking God. Think of some of the provisions he's made for us and for our lives in this world. It is God, you know, who has ordained the family. It is only right that we should remind ourselves of these things from time to time. It is God, let us never forget, to ordain marriage. It was God who gave men a helpmeet, the woman to be with him. It is he who ordained marriage. This is not a human institution. It isn't a good idea that some men suddenly conceived. It isn't something that has evolved out of the development uh, of human beings. No, it is God who deliberately ordained it, planned it, fashioned it, told men all about it. God, at the very beginning, ordained marriage and the family as the fundamental unit. So that when we come into this world, we are not left as it were on the cold doorsteps of life, we come into the bosom of a family. We are surrounded by affection and love and care and protection. My dear friend, do you ever thank God for that? It is God who's ordained it. We are not born like animals and allowed more or less to struggle and fend for ourselves from the very beginning. God has ordained these wonderful ordinances to care for us and to cover our needs and to protect us and to help us. Giving thanks unto God always. Not a day should pass, but that we thank God for these things. Well, then think of food and clothing and shelter. You know these things come from God. If God were to withhold the sun and the rain, we'd have no food. It's no use talking to me about your tractors and your modern implements and all your fertilizers and all the rest of it. They would be of no value at all if God didn't send the rain and give the sun. Our daily bread comes from God. 
In spite of men's efforts, it would be useless, but for God, he is the giver. Giving thanks always, day by day. We should never eat food without giving thanks to God, because it's come from him. Likewise, our clothing, shelter, and all these other gifts, health and strength, these, again I say, are gifts from God. And this is something that is universal. You remember our Lord reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount that God maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So the evil and the unjust ought to be thanking God for the sunshine and for the rain. Well, if they should, how much more those of us who are Christian? And then think of something like this. Think of the personal gifts that we all enjoy in some shape or form. Everybody is endued with certain powers and faculties and propensities. You may be an able, a clever person. You may be clever in one respect or another. Mathematically, scientifically, musically, dramatically. I don't care what it is. Think of all the gifts which people have. Some have the gift of understanding. Others are wonderful with their hands and can make and can fashion things. Others have discernment and judgment and all these things. Yes, but you now here's the question. Where, where did you get those gifts from? Have you created them? You're proud of them, perhaps. Well, have you a right to be? Uh, did you produce them? Have you generated these things? Uh, are they something that you've conjured up from somewhere? Uh, are they really the result of your efforts? Of course they're not. You are born with them. And it is God who's given you them. We glory in a man like Shakespeare, you see, but we should thank God that he can give men such gifts. We are living in an age when we praise men as if men had done everything. But not a man has done anything except by the ability which God has given him, that scriptural teaching. What hast thou but that which thou hast received? It is all uh, as the result of the ability which God giveth. And of course it's only as we begin to look into these things and understand them that we not only praise God aright, but we know how to live aright. Think of all the trouble in the world because men are proud of their gifts and others are envious of them. And how the gifted people despise the others and so on. And all the trouble that that causes in life and in the world. It's all due of course to this that none of them realize that they've all got their gifts from God. He is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. So we should be giving thanks unto God always for all these things. Do we do so, Christian people? Or do we take these things for granted? These are the gifts that come from God. Then think of his long-suffering, his kindness to us, his patience with us, with all of us. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. The world's in a terrible state and the foolish people, the ignorant people say, where's your God? Why does God allow this? What we all should be saying is this, how does God tolerate us at all? How are things as good as they are? It's nothing but the long-suffering, the compassion, the kindness of God. How can he stand it? Why doesn't he wipe us out of existence? Why doesn't he chastise us with an awful severity? That's how we ought to be speaking. 
Well, now then, there is one respect in which we give thanks always unto God. Yes, but now then, go on to the second bit, to the Father. And this is what the Christian alone can do. Our hymn which we sang just now puts it in a phrase. We thank him for all that he sends us through his Son. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What are we talking about? Well, this is what I'm talking about. We say we are Christian people. Very well then. Why is it that we don't spend the whole of our time in thanking God? What for? Well, for the fact that he's ever looked upon us at all. We, like everybody else, were the children of wrath. We are born in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. We are children of iniquity, every one of us. We all deserve hell and nothing else. Does anybody dispute that? Examine your life then. Have you thanked God for all his goodness to you? For his very gift of life? That you're a man? That he's given you a soul? What do we deserve at the hands of God? We've broken his laws. Every one of us, like sheep, has gone astray. Everyone has followed his own devices. We deserve nothing but punishment and hell. But God has looked upon us with a piteous and a merciful eye. God has chosen us and called us out of darkness into his most marvelous light. God, in spite of our sin and rebellion and recalcitrance, has loved us with an everlasting love and has sent his only Son into our world and even to the death of the cross in order to save us and to redeem us. He's forgiven us freely. He's blotted out our transgressions as a thick cloud. He's thrown our sins into the sea of his own forgetfulness. We stand before him justified, reconciled, absolutely absolved from all our sins. Is it surprising that the apostle says giving thanks always unto the Father? But wait a minute, we haven't finished. He's given us new life. We are made partakers of the divine nature. He has put his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. He has delivered us from the thraldom and the tyranny and the sin of the world. He looks upon us as his children. The very hairs of our head are all numbered. He leads us, he guides us, he cares for us in his wonderful providence. Then think of the blessings he gives us in connection with the life of the church, all we inherit by way of knowledge, exposition of the truth, the lives of men who've gone before us. He has brought us into a large and into a wealthy place. And then think of the prospect that lies ahead of us. The prospect of going to glory, to be with Christ, which is far better, to spend eternity in the presence of God, to be in the renovated, regenerated earth which is coming, the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, to reign with Christ as kings, to judge the world, to judge angels. All that is coming, and he's preparing us for that. It is because of things like that that the Apostle says, giving thanks always. Always. Because, you see, if you're a Christian, these things are always true. 
I don't care what you're feeling like. I don't care what's happening to you. These things, if you're a Christian, are always true. If you are a Christian, it means this, that God saw you before the foundation of the world and wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Before the foundation of the world, you. What is the matter with us Christian people that we don't give thanks unto God the Father always? He has chosen you. He has separated you from the world. He has put you into Christ, made you a member of the body of Christ. He's got this marvelous plan and program for you. He loves you, I say, with an everlasting love. This relationship of the Christian to God the Father is permanent. It is certain. It is forever. And it's always there and always true. Well, why are we not always thanking him? Do you thank him for things like that every day of your life? If we don't, of course, there's only one reason for it. We don't think about these things. We sort of say, I'm a Christian. We put that into a compartment. Now then, there are a number of things I want. But fancy taking that for granted. I sometimes have put it like this and I put it again like this this morning. If we are not amazed and astounded and surprised every day of our lives that we are Christian, well, we are very poor Christians. If you are not thrilled at the fact that you're in this position as a child of God and an heir of eternity and of glory with Christ, if that doesn't thrill you to the marrow of your being day by day, well, there's something wrong with you. We get excited about all sorts of things, don't we? Little successes, things that happen to us, things we hope are going to happen to us, things that might happen, things we want to happen, and all the excitement and the thrill of anticipation. Christian people, we say we are Christian, that we are in Christ, that glory is awaiting us. Where's the thrill and the excitement? Where's the thanksgiving and the prayers? Oh, the apostle is right, isn't he? Giving thanks always, 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 never ceasing. There must never be any intermission, perpetual. But wait a minute. We must stir ourselves up, I say, to realize these things. We must ask God to fill us with his spirit. We must avoid everything, as we saw, that grieves the spirit. And so being filled with the spirit, we shall be aware of these things, constantly meditating upon them. And so we'll sing, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like thee his praise should sing. Praise him, praise him, praise the everlasting king. But wait a moment. The apostle goes on to say this, not only giving thanks always, but... For all things. Does this all really mean all? Of course it does. It means everything. All things. You see, you can't separate the all and the always. If you're always giving thanks, you must of necessity be giving thanks for all things. And the apostle means it in detail and deliberately. What says someone am I to give thanks for trials, for troubles, for tribulations, for infirmities? Am I to give thanks to God when things go wrong? The answer is yes. 
He not only says it here, he says it elsewhere. He says in Romans 8.28, We know, we Christian people know, that all things... Now, you mustn't put any limit on that. There is no limit on it. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, even to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know it. All things, I don't care what, put them all in. Listen to him again in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then you notice the teaching of that portion of Hebrews 12 that we read together at the beginning. Give thanks even for chastening. James goes further and says in the second verse of his epistle, My brethren, count it all joy when he fall into diverse trials. It's temptations in this authorized version, but it means trials. My brethren, count it all joy when he fall into diverse trials. It is something in which you should rejoice. And the apostle Peter has exactly the same teaching. In his first epistle and in the first chapter, he puts it like this. He says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein, he says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, now then, here's the question. How do we give thanks to God under such conditions? Well, let me suggest that we do it like this. Let me take a, a notable New Testament illustration. You will find an account in the 16th chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles of a visit paid by Paul and his companion Silas to the town of Philippi. All they were doing there was to preach the gospel. They worked a miracle. They cast out an evil spirit out of a girl possessed with a spirit of divination, and for that they were arrested and shamefully entreated. They were scourged, they were beaten upon their backs by sticks and cords, and then they were taken and thrown into a prison, put into the innermost prison with their feet made fast in the stocks. You can't imagine anything much worse than that, can you? Yet this is what I'm told in verse 25. And at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. I wonder what we'd be doing if we'd been there. Wouldn't it be something like this? Paul and Silas grumbled and asked God what he was doing with them, why he was treating them like this, why they were his good servants, why have this treatment, why is he thus unfair and unkind to them? No, no. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And we are told the prisoners heard them. At midnight, you see, they kept these other prisoners awake. Why? Well, they were thanking God to such an extent and singing with such loud voices that the other prisoners couldn't sleep. They were kept awake with their feet fast in the stocks in the innermost prison. How can one do this? Giving thanks always and for all things. And to God and the Father. 
How do you do it? Well, this is the method. I believe that this is the analysis of what Paul and Silas probably did unconsciously. They were filled with the Spirit, you see, and the Spirit led them, and this is how it works. Though you may find yourself in adversity, as Paul and Silas did, though things may be going against you, what do you do? Instead of sitting down and saying, isn't it terrible, isn't it awful, why should this happen to me? You say, all right, I am in trouble, but I'm a Christian still. And because I'm a Christian still, I've been chosen of God before the foundation of the world. And God so loved me that he sent his only son into the world to die for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Though my feet are fast in the stocks, that's still true of me. Well, thank God. And then all the other things I've been saying about what God has done for the Christian, go through them one by one. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And then you'll begin to thank God. Well, that's the first thing. That remains in spite of my adversity. Then here's another very wonderful and comforting thought which will make you thank God, though everything's going against you. Listen to Peter putting it in his first epistle, chapter 4, and in verse 16. He says, first of all, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. You know you may be suffering this morning because you're a Christian. The people of the world don't like the true Christian. And they try to get it out of him, as they put it. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evil doer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet... If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, let him not be cast down, let him not be unhappy, it means, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So that if things are going against you this morning, if you find that you're suffering simply because you're a Christian, well, far from being cast down, let him glorify God on this behalf. It's a wonderful privilege you're having. They're treating you as they treated your Lord and Master before you. And you know, the moment you begin to think things like that, you're praising God. You can't stop it. You're thanking God for his goodness to you. But then go on to consider this. When things have gone wrong or you find yourself in trouble, it's always a good thing to ask questions. Don't grumble and complain and begin to go to God and say, why should this happen to me? Instead of that, ask this question. I wonder whether I needed this. I wonder whether I stood in need of this. Is this perhaps a bit of chastisement I'm receiving from the hand of God? Now, don't run away with the notion that I'm saying that every illness or accident or everything that goes wrong is always chastisement. I've just been saying it may be the enemies of God, but sometimes it is chastisement. Quite definitely, illness included. It isn't always, but it can be. You see, the psalmist in Psalm 119.67 tells us this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. He was a good man. He was a godly man. But you see, he went astray. So ask yourself the question. I wonder whether I was beginning to get into a position in which I needed to be pulled up? Was I beginning to go astray? I wonder whether this has happened to me because God is trying to keep me from sin. I wonder whether I was on a pathway that might really lead me to terrible trouble, but that God in his goodness has interposed, he's held me up, he's prevented my going right to the end 
of where I might have landed. Ask yourself the question, I wonder whether I've been tending to live a little bit independently of God. Things have been going well with me. I've been blessed. I've had abundance. Nothing was lacking. And uh, have I been forgetting God? Have I been thanking him as much as I should? Have I been as regular in my duties as I should? With respect to God, have I been praising him? Have I been living unto him as I know I should be living? I wonder whether this has happened in order to pull me up and make me think and examine myself and remind myself of all these things. Have I perhaps been tending to forget that after all I'm but a pilgrim in this world, that I'm a child of eternity? And that always I ought to be preparing myself for that which is coming to me as God's dear child. You ask yourself those questions, and you may well come to the conclusion that this is a bit of chastisement, which God is giving you because he loves you. Did you notice it? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he calleth. If you are not receiving chastisement, you are bastards. You know you ought to worry much more if things never go wrong than if they sometimes go wrong. Chastisement is a sign that we are children of God. And then it leads you to this. It leads you to faith in God's fatherly love. You say, God is my father. I don't understand what's happening to me now, but God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a father's face. And the moment you arrive at all these conclusions, you begin to praise him and to thank him. You say his love in times past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in troubles to think he can't. He'd be denying his own eternal constancy. He would be denying the fact that he's the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so, you see, having reasoned it out, you come to this conclusion and to this position. You not only don't complain, you are not only not content with your lot, but you even rejoice in it. And you say, thy way, not mine, O Lord, however hard it be. There is nothing like knowing that you're in the hand of God. And it's better to know that you're in the hand of God when you're in trouble than to have everything going well without having this blessed assurance that you're in the center of his will and in the center of his hand. You know, if you work out this argument, you'll agree again with the psalmist in Psalm 119 when he says in verse 71, it, I have been, it was good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Therefore, he says, it was good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In all things, giving thanks to God, always, whatever's happening, because it will lead you to this final conclusion, that you can be confident always in God. David, looking back across his life, says, I am old and I once was young, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. If you were a child of God, 
God will never let you go. He will perfect that which he has purposed concerning you. Yes, he may chastise you. He'll chisel corners off you. He'll knock bits off you. He will have you to be made conformable to the image of his dear son. And as you realize it's happening to you, though it's painful at the moment, as the author of the epistle to the Hebrews puts it in that 12th chapter, you know that afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So when you're full of aches and pains and are being pummeled in the gymnasium of God, you're thanking him, thanking him, and in a sense you say, go on with it. Make me that which thou wouldest have me be. My last word is this. How the thanks are to be given? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because you can't approach God except in his name and apart from him. It is through him that all the blessings come to us. But above all, it is through him that we become children of God. God is God to everybody. God is the God of the universe. Yes, but you see, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. And God is my Father because, first of all, he is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is Christ's Father. Where do I come in? Well, I've been put into Christ, and because I'm in him, God is my Father also. He is not my Father. Apart from Christ. It is in Christ I'm saved. It is in Christ I receive this adoption. That God makes me his child. And I become a member of the very household of God. Oh, the apostle, he never can leave out this name. He's been doing it right through the epistle. Whether you pray, whether you give thanks, whatever it is. It must always be in the name. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shame on us Christian people. That we ask so much and thank so little. That we are so ready to grumble and so slow to praise. Oh, our need is the need of being filled with the Spirit. Because when we are filled with the Spirit, he does enlighten and open the eyes of our understanding. And we see what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power to us that believe. He'll lead us to the scriptures, to meditation, to consideration. And as we realize these things, our hearts will be bursting with a desire to thank and to praise God, giving thanks unto God and the Father, always and for all things, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.